This is the Weekly Weekly Podcast with Adam Quinn and John D'Amatos. This is the sound of a loom. Traditional weaving has been around for about 12,000 years. It's what Penelope used to weave the burial shroud in the Odyssey, and what later inspired Ada, Countess of Lovelace, to use punch cards for a mechanical computer. Tools like this, the original artifacts of production, have remained relatively unchanged since the Industrial Revolution, but with the democratization of certain materials, which you can create with these tools, has changed dramatically. Today, John and I visit Anne-Marie Levine at Spaceworks Gowanus in Brooklyn to see her show called Decoherence, and where she shows us how the modern world is changing the output from these traditional tools. Uh, my name is Anne-Marie Levine. I'm an artist. I'm based in New York City. I've been here for the last five years. My practice is uh, based on the idea that I've been mixing um, traditional materials and techniques with digital fabrication techniques, software, and aesthetics. The goal is to have kind of like different paradigms. Paradigms? How do you pronounce? Paradigm. Paradigm. <laughs> <laughs> Say it French, it sounds cooler. Paradigm. The goal is to have different paradigms to collide to create kind of a weird aesthetic that would kind of like um, question the relationship that you would have with the material that you're seeing or interacting with. When you say traditional materials, yes. tell us a little more about what you consider to be uh, traditional materials. I consider a traditional material something that is, uh, it could be synthetic or uh, human or natural like from nature. If you think of the 20th century, all the synthetic pigments and fibers, for example, they've been around for only a hundred years, but they, they've been around enough so they've created a culture of processes and tools to use them. The trajectory of Anne-Marie's work is often about reinterpreting existing objects, like her 16th century lace ruff, that iconic collar found around Queen Elizabeth's neck, but milled on a CNC machine from pine. To do this, she had to become familiar with the properties of pine how to use modern milling techniques to create the bends and folds of that accessory. It's the integration of software into these techniques that creates the challenge of knowing both worlds, the physical craft of material science and the logic of code and parametric design. When you work with real and physical things, you sometimes really have to let yourself go and just stop wanting to control it, right? Because materials have properties of their own. And this is why some of the materials have been around for a long time in the history of humanity. It's because, for example, cotton or silk, it took centuries to try to figure it out. Uh, when you work with software, it's a little different. There's a lot of improvisation maybe, but you need to know the language, you need to know the coding. Whereas with materials, you kind of need to play with the material and see where it leads you to. If I introduce, you know, slowly new materials or I say new, but I, I want to say, I, I prefer to say dynamic, like materials that have more than one state or more than one property or that have like embedded functionality in it. If I 
and if I, if I slowly like introduce those materials in a process-based traditional approach, then sometimes I could make surprising aesthetics happen. I appreciated the use of thinking about new materials I'm introducing into these processes as dynamic and multidimensional. You're doing more than just, here's a traditional process, here's a new thing that doesn't usually belong here. There's more nuance there, and I think it really comes from a very methodical approach to your work. It's that methodical approach that defines the importance of traditional techniques. In Japan, for example, an apprentice may study a traditional technique like ceramics, textiles, lacquerware, metalwork, dolls, woodwork, or bamboo for centuries before they are considered a living national treasure worthy of carrying on this art form. This approach to working with traditional materials creates a unique intersection where this slow and laborious process is at odds with the speed of modern hackathons, agile sprints, and churning product cycles. Like many artists who work in this space, Anne-Marie has had her fair share of frustrations. There's tons of hackathons or events that, you know, you meet on a Friday and then at the Sunday you show what you've come, you've come up over the last three days with people. But then over time, like in the last couple of years, I realized that every time I would go to these events, I would walk away frustrated because in three days there's not enough time to do something physical. There is enough time to iterate a certain amount of lines of code that you have, but there's not enough time to, you know, weave, print, or come up with... Uh, a wearable, like, I mean, it's, yeah. it's hard. Beyond like the physical limitations that come with the kind of work you do, there's also the thing that you're talking about of the material and the process needs to talk to you and letting it talk to you. Mm -hmm. Because it's not just speaking to its difficulties of like handling the physicality of it, it's also telling you like 50 years worth of a story or thousands of years worth of a story. And that's also why I had to say goodbye to hackathons. Like, I've stopped going. <laughs> and the last time I went, the only thing that I wanted to say was, I need more time. <laughs> like, I made a print. And the print is a simple print of ink on normal paper. And it says, I need more time. It seems like hackathons seem to be much more conducive for digital environments where there's no real marginal cost for iteration, whether it's like monetary or otherwise, which is not the same for more thoughtful art or even for anything that's physical. Yeah. Like I've seen, I've participated in various like hardware related hackathons and it's hard, it's, it's, it doesn't work actually. I mean, it's not enough time. We take a look at woven signals a piece by Anne-Marie created by combining traditional weaving with conductive thread, resulting in a textile capable of changing patterns at the flip of a switch. This is called Woven Signals. Um, this is a prototype of what would eventually become a big tapestry. So I wove nine independent pixels that are about half inch by half inch. Each of them, it's like nine little squares. And each of them was woven with a conductive thread in it. And when I run electricity through that section of the textile, only that section changes color, which transforms that section of the woven textile into a pixel. So it's a soft screen. 
Yes, it's a soft screen. Exactly. I wish. Yeah, it's a soft screen. Yeah. Which is kind of like when I did this, I was inspired because in ancient Greece, textiles were with painting, one of the only form of imagery that could be shared. You would have murals that were painted on walls. They couldn't be transported or like mobile, but textile was a mobile display of history. And not that many are surviving because textiles just, you know, goes away with time. Like it's not like paintings. So when I did this, I was like, this is like the tapestry of our time. Like it's an interactive tapestry, which is made of textile, like in the old days. That was the inspiration behind that work. Try to connect it to the history of both textile and communication. Do you have other plans for it? Well, I would like to make a really, this now has just nine pixels, but I would like to make a tapestry that would have at least a hundred by a hundred pixel or even more than this. The complexity of it is dealing with the electricity that it demands. The weaving is, is, is okay. That, that I, I figured out already. It's just a circuitry part of that project that is kind of like a challenge basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. It's now I look at it and it's very tiny, but it took me like four months at IDP to, this was like a real challenge. Like it, it mm -hmm. was a lot of work. Now I look at it and yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> really amazing. Pieces. Let's zip it back up. <laughs> Archival storage. Archival storage. Yeah. On top of this Tupperware thing. <laughs> Like you can see with woven signals, this shift in the availability of dynamic materials is having an impact on her process. Her access to these materials is a relatively new phenomenon in the age of modern production. In the last 10-15 years, things have changed a lot. Uh, 3D modeling, 3D printing, all of that. The schism for me is like maybe, you know, late 90s. Mm -hmm. Everything that's like before that was kind of like surfing on techniques and approaches that have been around for a long time in human history, basically. And what happens in the 90s as far as materials go? I think it's it's basically our exposure to internet culture and also um, the democratization of some production tools. Mm -hmm. As soon as you have machines that are being used in schools, universities, or by artists or any random person, like it, it kind of changes the relationship we have with those materials and also the, the tools that we can use, like we're free to play with the tools. And as you started playing around with that stuff, what is that moment in which you realize, oh, I'm taking old materials and recontextualizing them? Um, that's a good question. The first step is to try to understand what this thing can do. Mm. And then I like to mix this, let's say that it's a type of anchor a fiber. I like to play with that material with traditional techniques and then see how I can introduce that material within a process that's been around for a long time. And then it's like if at a certain moment it's like it it kind of collides. It's like the you know the properties of the material and the kind of like open field of that traditional technique they kind of like make sense together and then something kind of like arises from that. This is decoherence, Anne-Marie's prints that seem to come alive as the light changes. When you approach the prints, they are minimal, just three black lines on the stark white sheet of paper in front of you. But when you click on the light, the rest of her work slowly appears. 
The ink is applied in layers, so her geometry and forms glow brighter as they grow in density, giving you that distinct 3D depth you might otherwise find in rendered digital art. They hang on that page for a few moments and slowly disappear as they lose energy, returning you back to that original state of those three simple black lines on a white page. My last series of print is called Decoherence, and I printed my pieces during my residency at the Women's Studio Workshop in Rosendale, upstate New York. My first poster was about the Lawrence transformation, which is one of the section of the general relativity. The scientist Lawrence came up with this idea of how to calculate the difference in the time between one observer to the other. So this is the equation to understand that difference in time. And then I discovered this concept, decoherence, which basically is describing how two different entities can coexist at the same time in a complex system, but never interact with each other. That's when I came up with this idea to make a print that would have different states. That would be a state that would be shown in normal daylight, and then I would use a dynamic ink to change that composition and trigger a second state in my print. So there are 13 prints exhibited, plus one here. Um, the first series here, there's like eight prints. This is the first series that I did on paper using color-changing inks. And I used uh, UV-reacting ink. So when you look at the prints, the paper, you can see normal ink, like black ink. And then if I use this little UV, I, you can see oh, wow. some squares in 3D space are appearing. Everything comes up. Everything comes up. And they sort of linger there for a little while. They get darker. Yeah, as I mean, they would stay there as long as they are exposed to UV light. But if I stop the light, they are being charged and they will stay colored for about seven to ten minutes. Seven to ten minutes. So they'll stay there for a while and then they'll disappear. Yes. That's and cool. um, so, for example, if you would have this print in your apartment or a studio space uh, you would um, see a print in a certain way and then if the print is in the section of the apartment that is exposed to direct sunlight you would see the print change if the sun goes on the print over the day and then this is really more this is awesome and so this this is the work this is the this is the work that's three lines on paper yes um, and that become other pieces as you as you shine the light on or yes. expose the sunlight. So the idea is like, you know, what I'm what I'm trying to explore with this work is that what you see depends on how you look at it. You know, when you approach or see art on paper, you just assume normally that what you see is complete. But um, with this ink, there's like a hidden side to the print that you have to kind of discover for it to make sense. The funny thing about this is knowing that it's there and having seen it, I want to pick up a flashlight and see that other thing. Yes, that's the thing. It's like, I've seen people like, as soon as they explore one print, then, you know, they know that all the other prints that they see have something to reveal, you know? So it's kind of, it starts kind of like a discovery journey in the exhibition. 
And then the final one. Oh, this is not the final, actually. It's the, the first. first first sprint that I did for the residency at the Women's Studio Workshop. I, I took the Lawrence Transformations equation and I tried to find a way to visually express it. And then I just practiced myself. So this basically is the first sprint I did before all of this. It's about quantum physics, but it's just the first degree of it. I mean, you, you, you can really see an equation of, of physics on it. Whereas the other prints, they are inspired by quantum physics for their compositions. Mm-hmm. It's porn for me. It's, it's porn. It's porn. <laughs> it's physics porn. I really think it's really sexy. Equations are really sexy. So I think I'm going to continue this series and make myself a poster for key equations that I learn. Decoherence is about elements existing within the same context without being seen at the same time, but that's what our daily life is. You think you know someone and then you discover this, another side of that person. It's like there's always a side of it that you don't know. You don't get along with someone, there must be a reason. You know what I mean? It's like there's always a second aspect to things that maybe you don't get. <laughs> that's beautiful. That's a... Yeah. Anyway, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> this is really great. Tell us a little bit about like what's what's next for you, what, what upcoming mm-hmm. projects you have. What's coming next is that I have this residency coming at the Gutenberg Arts. It's in Gutenberg in New Jersey. And I'm going to have a three-month residency in May, June, and July. And I'm going to do the second series of Decoherence. And to come up with... Um, I'm, I'm talking the second series of Decoherence because I don't know. Is there going to be a new title to it? I don't know, but it's, I'm going to just push that further. And to inspire myself to come up with new compositions, I've continued to read on quantum physics, and I have approached um, a teacher at Columbia. His name is David Z. Albert, and um, he's a metaphysicist. I've contacted him because I needed to understand more about the multidimensionality of quantum physics, like there, you know, we think there's only three dimensions, but they think that we live within 11 dimensions. So how do I express this? And how could I use this concept to come up with compositions? You do realize that a metaphysicist at Columbia is how Ghostbusters starts. Is it? Yes. <laughs> I just want to point that out. Oh my God. You seem more like a game show host. Yeah. <laughs> So I was cool. I was laughing so that I was like, oh my god, that's how Ghostbusters start. <laughs> <laughs> Anne Marie's work is still evolving and changing as she learns new processes and techniques and couples them with concepts that land as poetic objects and experiments. To sum up her views, she makes the simple statement. Technology is a perspective. The way you see reality depends on how you look at it. Thanks to Anne-Marie for being so kind to let us into her world. And thanks to Robert Hahn for sound design for this podcast. You can find links to Anne-Marie's work in the notes of this podcast. We hope you enjoyed her story and hope it inspires you to take risks and set your own pace for your own work.